Love you guys and appreciate that. Uh, for those of you that have been around a while, hopefully you know some of the stories. Some of you may be new and you're like, what's going on? I have no idea what's going on. Uh, back in uh, March, uh, we made the announcement. We talked to the leadership of the church uh, that uh, God's been leading me and our family in a different direction. I'll tell you more about that here in a little bit. And uh, so we are getting ready to sell our house and uh, God's been moving uh, faithfully as he usually does as we take steps of faith towards what he's calling us to. I'm excited to share some of that with you, but uh, I have been here for a good uh, almost 11 years, uh, and it's been a blessing and a joy still is to be a part of the Oakwood family and to be able to serve alongside you. We've been through all kinds of ups and downs uh, as is part of the journey uh, of life and the journey of following Jesus, and uh, it's certainly been a privilege uh, to do that. So today is actually going to be my last time, uh, as far as I know, that's what I've been told, this will be my last time uh, speaking to you guys and uh, sharing from God's Word from the pulpit. So I just appreciate that opportunity one last time to, to get up and uh, point to God's Word and teach uh, through it. And I was thinking about, you know, what do I say on my last uh, message here uh, as I'm uh, wrapping up? And you know, really my words, my last words are really that, aren't that important. They're, they're pretty inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. And I thought, you know, what better than to focus on some of Jesus' last words uh, to his followers you know, in his last days with them here on this earth. So we're going to get into uh, John 17 uh, and John 20 uh, here in a little bit. Uh, so if you want to turn there on a gadget or a Bible, uh, you can look there and we'll, we'll get into that in a little while. So I do want to welcome those that slipped in late. Uh, again, I'm Shane and one of the pastors. We have two of our other pastors that are gone uh, out of town for some rest and relaxation. If you're uh, joining in online, I appreciate you guys connecting that way. If you're at a campsite or away uh, traveling for the weekend, thanks for, for jumping in to connect and worship with your church family this weekend. Uh, so as we get into this, there are some message notes on the back table. You can pull up the church app uh, if you want to do that as well. Uh, but I want to start uh, just talking about teenage drivers. Anybody have teenage drivers uh, in their household? So uh, teenage drivers. So I actually have four teenagers right now, two of them. Uh, those are pictures of them when they got their first car. We have a deal with them. If they save up a couple thousand dollars, we'll match it uh, towards that. We've been able to get some good deals at the auction, although prices are ridiculous right now. So I don't know what our next couple kids are going to be driving and what we'll be able to afford. Uh, but teenage drivers, it's a, uh, it's a fun and scary time, right, in, in so many ways. But it's a, it's a process in our country and our culture that all of us should go through. That process of moving from a passive passenger, right, to a responsible driver. And that's something we want, uh, and most of us want to do. Parents, any of you guys want to drive your kids around to games, activities, work, everything for the rest of their lives? Any hands? Any takers on that? No, I don't think so. Well, I'll tell you, parents, teens, any teens want their parents to drive them around for the rest of their lives? Very few, maybe a couple. Reality is there's some people uh, that maybe haven't chosen, chosen to get their license and exercise that freedom and responsibility, and maybe because of fear. Uh, maybe they've been through situations where uh, that, you know, there's been an accident in the family, and that's, that's a traumatic thing, and it, it's a responsibility. That's, that's something that may be keeping them from doing that. Uh, maybe that, there are some people that are comfortable. I know some people in my family. I know some others that, uh, not my immediate family, but others that uh, extended family, where they're just comfortable having someone driving around, and they don't want that responsibility. Who can blame them with insurance rates and all the other stuff too, right? Like just somebody else uh, drive me around. So there are some people uh, that don't go through that process of moving from a passive passenger to a responsible driver, but most people do. Uh, but people get stuck on that. Uh-oh. Something's going on here. 
I know. Who's our tech person around here? I don't know. What's going on with that? Let me try to reload this. At least it's up there, but I lost control. Here we go. I think we're back at it. Uh, so there are some people that, gets, that, that don't want to choose that, moving from passive passenger to active and responsible driver. I think that the problem is, too, that that kind of relates to us in the church sometimes. We can be comfortable just being a passive participant, a passive passenger in this journey of faith that we're on in the church. And we don't take that opportunity, that responsibility that we have to become an active driver in terms of our faith and the mission that God has called us to be on, each and every one of us. It's so easy in the way that we do church in our culture to be a passive participant. And God's called us to do more, to be more uh, for him. And so as we get into today, we're going to talk about what it means uh, to live sent. Uh, last week, as uh, PD uh, was talking, uh, he's been going through this, this series, Win the Day, uh, you guys remember some of those things, flip the script, kiss the wave, eat the frog, fly the kite, cut the rope, all the things that he's been going through. It's based off of a book uh, by Mark uh, Batterson. He's been teaching us. And last week, he ended his message with this slide, quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. If you're here or you're watching online, you remember that? He kind of just left it there, and then he kind of wrapped up in prayer and we left. But that's a heavy statement. Quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Sometimes we want to do that. We just want to, we want to show up to church. We want to do our part. We want to be that, that passive participant, that passenger that's along for the ride. And we want to get safely to the finish line, spend eternity celebrating with Jesus. That sounds fun. That sounds awesome. That sounds easy. Sign me up. And I think so often we get stuck in that. But God, as followers of Jesus, we've been given a new life. We've been given a new purpose. And we're on a process, just as teens should be on a process of moving from passive passenger to responsible driver, we should be on a process, in a process, each and every one of us, of moving from living for ourselves to living sent. Because that's what God has called us to do and who God has called us to be. And that's the big idea today. Jesus was went to, sent to save, and we are saved to live sent. And we're going to see that as we get into some scriptures today. We're going to see that as we get into John 17 and 20. Uh, and I'm excited uh, just to point us to that and point to Jesus' uh, some of Jesus' last uh, words to his followers as we get going. So we're going to start it off just looking at that simple thing. It's Jesus was sent to save. Mind-blowing truth for people who have heard that many times in their lives, right? Jesus was sent to save. It's true, and that's the mission that he came on. Jesus was sent for a mission. And most of you probably know John 3.16, for God so loved the world. If you know it, say it along with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But you go on to verse 17, and it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Right? That is the mission that God sent his son. That he was sent with a purpose. He lived kind of in the shadows for 30 years, and then he spent a few years gathering disciples, training them up until he went off, uh, and he, he left in a way his disciples didn't expect him to, but he came here for a purpose and on a mission. Uh, there's a lot of passages throughout uh, the Gospels where Jesus explicitly said, I came for this reason, or the Son of Man came for this reason. He was very explicit about some of the purposes. Uh, I have on the scripture in my office, uh, John 10, you know, I came to have life and have it to, the, have it to the full. The idea of Jesus coming to give us abundant life. 
He's not talking about the American dream, by the way, when he's talking about the abundant life. He's talking about a life lived in deep fellowship with God and on mission with him. He came to give us life. Uh, There's a number of times uh, we could look at that. I'm just going to highlight a few uh, that Jesus said in terms of what he came to do. I said in John 6, 38, he came to do the will of the one who sent him. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. You guys are going to see that word sent over and over. It shows up over 44 times talking about Jesus being sent just in the gospel of John alone. Uh, We'll be looking at some of those passages today. So he came to do do the will of the one who sent him, the will of the Father. That's what he said in John 6, 38. Luke 19, 10 says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. That was his express purpose and intent coming into this world to seek and to save the lost. You see him doing that over and over. That picture of Zacchaeus always comes to my mind. This guy that was diminutive in stature, right? And despised uh, by all the people because he was a crook. Uh, Pete was talking about him, I think, a couple weeks ago, that idea. Short guy had to climb up in a tree to even see what was going on. Most of the time, people would have passed by and not even recognized him. And no one would have wanted to fellowship with him or spend time with him either because he was a crook and everybody hated him. Jesus sought him out and he went to his home and he brought salvation to his house that day, changed his life. He sought him out, brought salvation, changed his life. Uh, And from there, Jesus did that over and over. He came to seek and to save the lost. And in Mark 10, 45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve and to sacrifice his life. That's the mission, in a nutshell, that Jesus came intentionally into this world for. He knew that we were a people without hope, apart from his sacrifice, his blood being poured out to bring forgiveness to us. You know, we've had all kinds of opportunities to earn that on ourselves and obey the law and earn righteousness, but God knew from the beginning that wasn't going to work out. None of us are perfect. We're only righteous because of Jesus' righteousness, his blood poured out on our behalf to forgive our sins and to put his righteousness on us. He's given us that new life, that new hope, and that new purpose. So Jesus was very clear when he came into this world. He came with a mission. It wasn't haphazard. It wasn't just to check out how things were going down here and to give us some inspiring life principles. It was to save us who were lost and without hope on a dying ship that was sinking apart from his work on the cross to bring us back into a saving relationship with God. He came with that purpose, and he left us with that same purpose. And that's what I want to look at today. I just want to spend some time reading through John 17 and and a chunk of John chapter 20, uh, and and we'll make some comments as we go through this. These are from Jesus' last times uh, with his disciples. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to look around. I think it'll be up on the screen. I'm reading from the ESV today. Uh, But John 17, it's from Jesus in his last uh, time gathering with his disciples before his arrest and his death and resurrection. And and this is what he prays for them. Feel free to shout out sent every time we come across that word in this chapter. John 17, when Jesus had spoken these words, uh, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all who you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. 
I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them, and I am praying not for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may ha uh, have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I am them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and I know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, and that the, lo that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And we'll pick up chapter 20 here in just a little bit. This is Jesus' prayer, right before he's betrayed, arrested, crucified, and then the resurrection happens. This is his final word. This is his final push to emphasize. He's been trying to tell them over long that he came for a purpose and he was going to die and they just they couldn't get it. But he's trying to emphasize over and over. He came on a mission. He was sent on a mission. And he came to save us, but not just for that end. He wants us to continue. He's calling us to continue that mission. Just as he came into this world living, sent by the Father to show God's love, and to bring salvation to those that would, that would hear and respond and repent and turn back to God. He's sending us into the world to continue that mission each and every day. 
So from there he goes on, you know, the, the arrest, the betrayal, uh, the crucifixion happens, and then the resurrection, and we'll pick it back up shortly after that. He appears, um, you know, in the garden at the tomb, uh, but we'll pick it up in chapter 20 uh, when he really gathered, appears to the gathering of the disciples for the first time from what we can tell. So in chapter 20, verse 19, so on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So they're in this house locked up, afraid for their own lives because they just saw their leader get killed. And so they're behind the locked door. And it says, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Yeah, he better say that first since he just walked through the walls or walked through locked doors like that song we were just singing, peace be with you. I think that's an important thing to lead with when you just showed up in the midst of a locked room and the disciples are like, what's going on, right? Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And what's the very next thing he says? As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. He said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of his nails and I place my finger into the mark on his nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands and put, your, uh, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but to believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. And this is kind of the the end of the book. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You look at the end of any of the Gospels, you know, you see in Matthew, the Great Commission. You guys are familiar with that. All authority on heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. You look at Acts 1.8, and you'll receive power, and the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Those were the things that Jesus emphasized in his last days with the disciples before and after the resurrection. He came into this world to save us. We were hopeless without him. He came in to show the extent of the Father's love so much that he would lay down his life for us even though we're not worthy. Love we can't fathom that we're loved with. God loves us with such deep love. And Jesus came to reveal that to us and show that to us. And he left to go back to the Father, but he gave us the Spirit to continue on that work. We are to live sent. We think of sending oftentimes in terms of missionaries, right? The word missionary never shows up in Scripture. It's not in there. We're all, as followers of Jesus, to live sent. 
Even if that's just going to your workplace or going to your neighbor, we're to live sent. It's not just, I, I put that intentionally on the, the big idea, not to be sent. Because then we think, okay, well, wait till God's going to send me on my next mission trip. Or, you know, if he calls me to be a missionary, that's great. No, each and every one of us is called to be on mission with Jesus and to live sent. That's why we're saved. Jesus was sent to save. We are saved to live sent. And in the midst of that, we need to join Jesus on mission. Question, uh, a quote uh, that I like from one of the books that I've read, people of God have always existed because of the mission of God and for the mission of God. Jesus did not come to earth to give us what we understand as missions. He came to give us one mission, the Great Commission. You, did you remember when we were reading through John 17 and Jesus' prayer, he kept praying over and over that, that we would be one, right? That his disciples would be one, that all of us that believed in him through the message of the disciples, you know, years and years later, that we would all be one so that the world would know that, they, that God sent his son into the world. That's what our unity is about. We are to be united in mission, not necessarily united in all of our preferences and styles and the ways that we want to do things. That doesn't matter. All that can go away, but the mission remains to reveal the Father's love and to tell others about him. We've got to understand that we're called to live sent. And so we've got to join Jesus on mission. And really the only thing that each of us can do in our lives is to say yes to God to say yes to whatever it is that God is calling you to. If you haven't said yes to saving faith in Jesus, that's what I urge you to do today because he loves you. I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what, what you've been through, how far you feel away, how unworthy you feel. You are loved with an unimaginable love. And he's pursuing you and he's going to keep pursuing you. And I urge you to say yes, to let down the walls of your heart and say yes to a loving Savior that came into this world to give his life for you and for me. Say yes to God. That's where it starts. But once we become a follower of Jesus, we're, we're saved for a purpose. We've been given new life. We've been given new purpose. And he's sending us. We, we change. We're no longer the mission field. Now we are going out into the mission field. That's what PD put up there on that back wall. You are now entering the mission field. That's the reality. We are all when we've come to faith in Christ, now we are going out as missionaries on the mission field to, to join Jesus on mission. But that's tough because we live in a world that uh, really hates Jesus. He talked about that in his prayer, right? Uh, we live in a world that hates Jesus, that denies Jesus. And that, that antagonism in our culture is becoming more and more real. We used to live in a culture that was kind of more aligned with some of our Christian faith and values, and it was a little bit easier uh, to do that. But more and more, we live in a post-Christian society that denies Jesus being God and that wants to marginalize him and the message of the church. And they're fine if we gather in our little private you know, cells to, to worship and do our own thing, but they want nothing to do with it. More and more, that's the reality of the world that we're in. That's the reality of the world that Jesus was in and that he left his disciples in. Joining Jesus in a world that denies him takes courage and it takes intentionality. And we've got to live sent and understand that we can't just worry about our religious freedoms. Jesus didn't die for or guarantee our religious freedoms, the reality to, to be able to gather together. Now, do, am I saying we shouldn't advocate for that and try to protect that? No, no. 
But all that can go away and the mission still exists. Just look at China, look at Asia, look at all other places where the church is thriving and in the midst of persecution, not having the freedoms that we enjoy here. And I think they're living more intentionally with that sense of living sent on mission for God, life and death, than sometimes we are with the freedoms that we enjoy. And so we've got to understand it's going to take courage. It's going to take intentionality. Satan is really okay with us being comfortable and being isolated from the world around us. He's okay to let us do our own thing if we're not focused on the mission that Jesus has given us. And we've got to be on guard against that. What does it look like to join Jesus on mission? Some of that, I would say, is going back to what he said he was here to do, right? Uh, To seek and save the lost, to serve and sacrifice his life. If that's what he modeled for us, we should be doing those things as well. But two simple things. Love like Jesus loved. Sounds easy, right? But again, it comes back to serving. Moving away from living for ourselves to living sent, living on mission, understanding it's not about us and enjoying the journey as much as it's about us living on the journey that God has us on intentionally for the mission to build the kingdom. We've got to love like Jesus loved. We've got to find ways to get out uh, in the community and make a difference and connect with people who are never going to set foot in this church, no matter how great our programs are, no matter how attractive our facility is. Research shows over and over, more and more people are never going to set foot in the church. There's a study that was done in uh, Great Britain recently. Uh, that research showed about 70% of Great Britons have said they will never step foot in the church for a wedding. Uh, they won't do it when they feel like they're in some sort of crisis moment. They, they just see no purpose, no, no reality to that. And that just speaks to that post-Christian reality of what we're facing. Now, Great Britain and Europe tend to be a little bit ahead of the U.S., maybe on some of the secularization, but they're not that far ahead, honestly. And I think in our world... If we expect that people are going to show up because we invite them to our attractive facilities and our attractive programs and things like that, we're going to be damning a lot of people to hell because they're never going to come set foot here. We've got to be on mission when we go out in the community looking for ways to love them where they're at and bring the good news of the gospel to them. We've got to love like Jesus loved and we've got to tell people about Jesus. Those two things seem so simple, right? Research shows that about 90% of evangelical Christians have never shared the good news of the gospel with anyone outside of their family in the U.S. 90% of evangelical Christians have never shared the good news of the gospel with someone outside of their family. Sometimes that's because we're scared. Sometimes that's because we're so busy in our insulated Christian cultures that we're not engaged with people and building relationships with people where we can share the good news in a way that seems genuine and loving I'm not trying to guilt people. I'm just trying to focus on what Jesus' last words are. There's an urgency to the mission that he has given us to, and we're to live for that each and every day, no matter where we're at. And so that is my charge to us as individuals, to us as the church. Our God is ascending God. He's ascending God. Almost every time you look at a conversation he had with someone in Scripture, he's given them a mission to go somewhere or do something. That's the reality. And he's wanting to speak to us through his spirit and send us on mission each and every day too if we're open and willing to listen. With the gospel comes responsibility, just like that driver's license bears some responsibility as a driver. When, when the gospel penetrates our hearts and grips us and we start that relationship with Jesus, it's free. 
There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to earn the love of God and the forgiveness of God. It's a free gift. But once we have that, there's a responsibility to share that free gift with others so that they can experience the love and the forgiveness that we have too. That's what God has called us to. Matthew 4.19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's what Jesus called his initial disciples to. That's what he calls you and us to as followers today. I'm not much of a fisherman. Uh, There's lots of other people around here that are. I'm not much of a fisherman, but we are all fishers of men. And that's what God's called us to. question I want you guys to wrestle with uh, that we've been wrestling with a little bit. As you move from living for yourself to living sent, what is one area of your life where you need to say yes to God today? We're all, as followers of Jesus, on that journey, living for ourselves to living sent. What's something God's putting on your heart to say yes to him today, to open your heart to be willing to obey? That's really all we can do. Yes, Lord. Send me, I'll go. We've been going through this journey, and I, and I share some of our story today, not to pat ourselves on the back. I give God props for his faithfulness uh, and we're slow sometimes to understand and follow through and obey his calling in our lives. Uh, but I, I do want to take the opportunity just to give you guys a little bit of an update on what's going on uh, with our family and how God's been moving and, and leading and providing. And I'll come back and kind of wrap it up uh, with a closing illustration too. And so uh, for those of you who have been around for a while, I've been here 10, 11 years. Like I said, we've been through a lot together, lots of ups and downs. It's been great. Uh, to be a part of the Oakwood family. No doubt, I believe that God called us here uh, and, and brought us here uh, for a purpose. And it's been a, a pr- pleasure uh, to work towards uh, building the church and encouraging people in their faith and uh, teaching the word and trying to help people become disciples who can make disciples and lots of the things that God's brought us here. But over the last few years, I've been wrestling with feeling like God's got something else. Uh, I've always kind of had a, a different picture of what church could look like. Uh, I've been a pastor vocationally for 18 years now, uh, and even before I, I took that first job in that role, I've, I've had some different pictures of what church could look like. And over the last few years, God just continues to prompt in my heart that uh, he wants me to lead out in some different ways. And so uh, that's exciting and scary, right, when, you, when you're feeling that. And then you talk to your wife, and she's like, what? <laughs> you know, and you have this conversation with her, and I, you know, she's not quite getting that and understanding that, that what, what's that look like for our family? Like, okay, you've been doing this vocationally. That's how God's been providing for our family. How, how is this all going to work out? And so over the last few years, even before uh, COVID came around, you know, we've been wrestling with some of that. What's next? And honestly, our plan was to kind of stay here and at least through the end of our kids getting through high school. That, that was kind of our plan, you know, and we, we like to tell God our plan sometimes, and sometimes he changes that. And um, so that was kind of our plan. But, but over the last few years, been processing, praying, have some conversations with carry lots of conversations with God. Uh, COVID happened and that launched into about six or seven months that was just crazy busy. Lots of things to do and, and adapt and change and address and connecting with people and working with technology. So we went for, through six or seven really busy uh, months with that and just kind of had to throw ourselves into that. But then it slowed down a lot as a lot of things weren't happening and I had six or seven months uh, to do a lot of reading and praying that I didn't usually have time to do and just kind of look back over the journey that God's had me on the last couple of decades. And so during the midst of that, it was becoming clear to me, 
you know, the, my, my ministry here at Oakwood was coming to an end, and then he had something else, but I didn't have a clear uh, picture of what that looked like. I knew for sure I wasn't going to be just going and looking for another job on another church staff, and uh, that's not anything we've ever done before as a family. That's kind of different, and so um, lots of things were going on, um, and then February, March, I had to preach a couple times, and uh, I got up that first week, you know, preached, I think I was preaching two weeks back to back, I preached that first week, and I got home that day, and that week, I just felt, those next couple of days, I just felt sick. I felt so sick, not, uh, not of anything that was going on, it was just internal battle. I felt like I had been battling and needed to tell the church what was going on and, and the, the process that God had us on. And uh, I told Carrie, and she's like, I don't know if we're ready for this. And we spent some time talking and praying for a couple of days. And, and that week, I finally sat down with Jim and, and PD uh, and shared with them you know, what God's been putting on my heart and that I wanted to help you know, have a healthy transition here. And as we just continued to see what God had in store for us, and so that started there. A couple months later, I think we told the church family what was going on. We've been working a transition plan since then to slowly train others and, uh, and figure out the, the healthiest way to hand some things off and uh, make things as smooth as possible. But in the midst of that, I didn't have another job lined up. I didn't have, you know, any clear answers. And so, you know, PD's been going through this whole series, Win the Day, right? And some of his big ideas is if you want to change your life, you've got to change your story. And I must take the first step of faith and God will reveal our next uh, there comes a moment when you need to just take a step of faith, uh, and then that was the whole, you know, cut the rope one last week, right? Just cut the rope. And we feel like we've been living in this message that he's been preaching for the last six or eight weeks, or six or eight months of our lives, uh, just taking steps of faith. And like, all right, God, you know, we're going we're gonna to say yes, but I don't know the place that you're, gonna, you're taking us to. He said, that's all right, I got you. Uh, but you got to take this step. And it's not been easy, uh, but it's been amazing to see how God has led. We've, we've seen it happen before. And again, it's, it's about him and his faithfulness. When he calls us to do something, he's going to make a way. And, and so in the midst of all that, our plan was to start, I had started up a, a web design business. I wanted to get out. Uh, I've been doing that on the side for uh, off and on for the years. And I wanted to get out in the community. I wanted to be able to connect with people, build relationships in the community more, uh, serve them, find ways to get inroads for the gospel out in the community. And so I started that up. Uh, and then I was planning to do some real estate media on the side. So I invested some money and some equipment, got my drone license and all this stuff and got ready to do some real estate media. And I was looking for maybe somebody I could do some contracting with around here to do, get some experience. And I learned about this company. This was in June. You know, in the midst of all this, my wife's saying, I know God's leading us in a different direction, but I'm not 100% sure if this is just my crazy husband or if this is really God. You know, and the answer is yes. <laughs> you know, it's a little of both, right? And so I, I'm doing all this stuff. I, I, find, I find this company called Nextdoor Photos. I'm like, well, what's Nextdoor Photos? They were looking for someone to contract with them to do real estate photo shoots and drone work. I'm like, okay, this would be good. I start looking into this company and find out they have a local ownership opportunity. So I start clicking on that. What's going on with this company? Well, it's a, it's a faith-based organization. It started up here in Michigan seven years ago, and they are blatantly kingdom-minded in terms of the work that they're trying to do uh, to make a difference for God's kingdom. And they have a business model that's set up where, where we'll be able to do business with that heart that we have to get out in the community and be a blessing and to build relationships and to serve in a local community. But it's also uh, a business model that's set up where we will eventually build a team of photographers that'll cover the area that we're going to be going to. Um, and 
uh, we'll build that team, but we'll upload our work. And then overnight, they have people right now in the Philippines uh, and in Kenya and other places. Most of these people have been rescued out of human trafficking, and they've trained them to do the editing work. And we'll be providing work for these people, giving them uh, you know, a new life, an opportunity to get away from the things that they've been uh, entrapped in for so long. And so it, it's business with a purpose uh, to build God's kingdom and make a difference in people's lives locally and globally. Uh, and so we went through this process. With, so we, we got on a call with them in late June, early July. And I thought, okay, well, we're moving. We're thinking about moving. All this time, we've been thinking about moving to Greensboro, North Carolina. That's what God's put on my heart. My wife's like, I don't know. You don't have a job there. You just want to move there. So I get connected with this company. And I'm like, oh, we're really excited. Um, but we live in Michigan. We'd like to move to North Carolina. They're like, well, there's no more startup opportunities in Michigan. We're saturated there. But Greensboro is one of our high priority markets to get somebody to. Hmm. You know, my wife and I already had a trip booked for October to go down to Greensboro and look for potential places to live and some of that stuff. So God's just been working in, in amazing ways. Uh, so we went through about a month of meeting meetings with them. Uh, they had to kind of vet us. We had to vet them, uh, make sure it was going to be a good fit. Uh, but these people are, are just godly people that love the Lord and love, uh, love uh, wanting to make a difference and, and build God's kingdom. And they offered us the opportunity uh, to become local owners uh, of Nextdoor Photos in the Greensboro area. And so uh, we signed on to do that. But it'll be next year uh, when we'll be starting that and in 2022. And so, you know, long story short, uh, we've just seen God's faithfulness over and over, providing, making a way. Uh, he's been prompting and putting things on our to the point where I was sick. I had to just make, get it out. Like I'd been putting it off. We'd been hemming and hauling, but I just had to get it out. Had to tell them and in terms of obedience, this is what God's calling us to do. And, uh, and just to see him come through, there's still lots of questions. There's still lots of uh, things that could go wrong, uh, lots to, to do. But God has been faithful and we've been excited uh, to see uh, his power. And we're excited about this next chapter of our life. Still passionate about the church and making disciples and believe that God's going to lead in that way in different ways, but I don't intend to vocationally be a pastor, still be a pastor making a difference, building disciples who make disciples, but uh, that's a whole other story, and that's, that's something we can talk about some other time if you want to talk to me personally. Uh, but uh, God's faithful. What's he calling you to say yes to at this point? I'm not saying he's telling you to quit your job and go somewhere else. Maybe he is. There's a lot of people doing that during COVID. Uh, apparently, lots of people are wanting to switch jobs, switch locations, they're rethinking life. I'm not saying just dream what you want to do. What is God calling you to do? It was inescapable that God was calling us to do something different and move in a different direction. Uh, we're excited uh, to join him on that journey and see him uh, <clears throat> continue uh, to provide. But it hasn't all been easy. I want to just share a few things, ways that you can help with the transition. I care a ton about healthy transition. I appreciate the church being willing to you know, do some things to help us as we get ready you know, for moving to uh, ways you guys can help. I would say first things, pray. Uh, pray. Uh, pray for our kids. This has not been easy, and it's not what we intended necessarily for our teens. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult time to, to have to pick up and move when, when you're college age, high school age, and we totally understand that. No, it's not easy. Uh, and we want to provide all the support and encouragement that we can with them in the midst of that process. And so I ask you to pray for them. Uh, and pray for our family and pray for us as we go through that transition because uh, that's really important uh, that we do that well and do the best we can as we continue to follow what God has. 
Uh, Jim talked about the work day, just a reminder, September 25th, so we'll get the times out there, but just looking for some help cleaning up the yard and, and getting it uh, a little bit ready before fall. Uh, we got the plan for some other stuff uh, to get ready and get the house for sale. Uh, for sale. PD mentioned this last week, uh, serving on tech team, and uh, so those of you that have been around for a while know that I've kind of been the tech uh, the driver of all things technology here for the last decade uh, at the church and have you know, built most of our tech teams and overseen and trained them. With COVID, a lot of our teams, not just our tech team, but our hospitality, you know, safety, lots of our teams have, have been short uh, because a lot of people have either stayed at home or they've come back, but they aren't serving like they, they used to. Uh, it's going to be tough you know, for the church to go on with some of the things, the live stream and, and other things that we need to be able to operate and do some of the ministries we can without some more people stepping up into that role. And, uh, but we will provide training uh, and encouragement. It's not as scary as you think. And even when things go wrong, we're a gracious place. All right. Technology goes wrong. Anybody ever had technology go wrong? Okay. We all know it's, you know, sometimes it's user error, but sometimes it's just the technology and that's okay. We'll train you. We'll equip you. We're a gracious place. Uh, but we're looking for people to help run the computers, which help run the screens up here uh, for worship and communication during the message. Uh, we've got lots of people now. The, the live stream used to be just kind of, you know, we'd have a half dozen people there who were sick or at home or traveling. Now we've got quite a few that watch and depend on that uh, going well. And so we need some people to help run that and run the cameras uh, that are trained and to be able to do that. Because um, a lot of times Ben and I will jump in uh, and help out. Um, and Ben's really going to need to be freed up from having to do that, and I won't be here uh, to be able to do that after a few months. And so we need some people to step up in those ways, uh, looking for some tech support people that could just help uh, if something goes wrong with a printer or one of our children's ministries when they're uh, presenting like this and they have an issue with the sound or the uh, projection not working right. Uh, We can train people how to do all that stuff, but we need some tech servants uh, to help, you know, in this transition as I I move away. So I'll, I'll be here still for a few more months, and we're working on, a, on continuing to do some training, uh, and, but I've been slowly kind of working my way out of a job, if that makes sense, and trying to train and equip others. The last thing I just want to throw out there is an option, uh, transitional housing. We're still trying to figure out the timing uh, on terms of when we're going to put our house up for sale. Uh, it would be as probably the earliest would be October, but we're really leaning towards probably waiting till January, uh, put it on the market there, uh, and then uh, I would be able to start uh, in probably February, March, head down to North Carolina myself, start trying to get a place set up, uh, start the business up. Uh, but we want our kids to be able to finish the school year here. And we're, we're uh, committed to that for them and uh, being able to have a healthy year for a lot of different reasons. And so transitional housing, uh, we've, we've done it before when we uh, left the first church I served in to go help uh, plant the church in Cincinnati uh, for a few years. Uh, we sold our house God moved in an amazing way, sold it right away. I don't have time to tell the story. So sold it quicker than we thought, and we had to move in with friends for four months, you know, with four little kids, and uh, God provided in that way. We're looking at uh, transition housing, and that could just be we're renting an apartment for five or six months if we need to, but we know there's also snowbirds uh, that may have a, you know, a house that's empty, and maybe we could rent that for a, a period of time for a little bit for our wife, for my wife and kids to have a place to stay. Uh, so if you have a place like that, or you know a, someone in your family or a friend that would have a place 
uh, or a house that's in transition that you know, maybe from February to May or June uh, would be available. We're looking for uh, some transitional housing. So just put that word out there. We're praying that God will provide the right opportunities uh, and not looking for handouts we're willing to, to pay or whatever. Certainly if he provides in that way, that's, that's a blessing too, but we're not expecting that or asking for that. But just put the word out there. Ask you guys to be praying and thinking about that. If you know of something, let me know uh, and we'll go from there. I need to wrap things up. I know I'm going a little long as I share this story and this update with you a little bit today. We'll get you out here shortly. I don't want to end with that. I want to come back uh, to the message just a little bit and uh, just one more picture uh, for you guys to think about as you think about your lives as followers of Christ, living sent, and as we think about our mission uh, and and existence as a church. I used this illustration, I think back in 2012 or something. Two pictures, right? Cruise ship and aircraft carrier. A lot of similarities between those. Uh, The uh, length of them is usually around 1,100 feet, sometimes up to 1,200 feet on a cruise ship on some of the biggest ones. Uh, Capacity-wise, you can get 2,500 to 3,500 people on there. They're both living cities. You know, they're basically places that can function for long periods of time on their own in terms of they don't need to dock all the time and do some of that. The the aircraft carrier can survive a little bit longer. They both cost about a million dollars a day to operate. That's what I said. The the aircraft carrier costs considerably more to build, but they both cost about a million dollars a day to operate. So lots of similarities there. There's a huge difference between those two ships, and that comes down to their purpose, right? You like think of a cruise ship. You know, what's the purpose of a cruise ship? I've not been on one. What? Vacation, fun, exploring, comfort, convenience, entertainment, food, right? You think they eat a little better on a cruise ship than they do on an aircraft carrier? Maybe a little bit, Right? So, I mean, they've got, they got places to sleep. They've got food on the aircraft carrier, right? All those types of things, but, but they're different. Their purpose is different. The cruise ship is about comfort and entertainment and, and the great guest experience, right? What's the purpose of the aircraft carrier? Aircraft carrier is there to send people out on mission. They equip those planes, those choppers, to go out on mission all over the world and accomplish whatever that mission is. So they look similar, they, they have some similarities there, but there's a huge difference in terms of their purpose. Uh, lots of people have written about this analogy. As a church, especially the church in America, we've got to be careful that we don't have that cruise ship mentality. Where we're worried about the guest experience and all the comforts and you know what does this church have to offer me and all the experiences this church has to offer me for my family? Because that sounds a lot more like living for self. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. I think churches that are big and multi-campus can do all kinds of things sending people out. But I've been here for over a, uh, over a decade, you know, working through the trenches with you guys. I know how easy it is to get sidelined and distracted by just all the fires that need to be put out and all the details that need to be done. And we just go on our lives operating, enjoying the freedoms that we have, running the services and events that we can run. And I know wholeheartedly our hearts are the mission of God, but we can easily get distracted. and We can start looking a little more like a cruise ship than an aircraft carrier. And so that's just a visual I want you guys to take when you think about your life it's not that you've got a nice little cabin, you've got all the conveniences and the comforts and the things that you want, the services that you want for your family. You're a plane. 
And the church exists to equip you and send you out on mission. That's what's right over that door as you're going out. You're entering the mission field. And, and whether we're a house church or whether we're a multi-campus church or whether we're Oakwood Community Church, we have to live sent. We are called to be on mission for Jesus. And as, as leaders of the church, we need to equip people. That needs to be our purpose. A couple of quotes. This is Larry Osborne, PD, and Ben and I got to go out to North Coast Church in California a few years ago. They got beautiful, multi, the only church I've ever been to has got palm trees all over the campuses and stuff. You know, beautiful, beautiful church, multi-church, thousands and thousands of people. This is a quote from the, one of their pastors there. When I stand before God, the ultimate measure of my ministry and stewardship will not be found in how many people we jammed into our campuses on a weekend. It will be measured by what those people did once they left the building. For church leaders, that's what we've got to keep in mind. For us, we're not just passive passengers. We're active participants on mission with Jesus. When we go out those doors, we've got the responsibility of the gospel in our hands. And we've got to own that and live that. We've got to live sent. Another quote similar, Jesus' measure of the church is not the seating capacity, but the sending capacity. We've got to live sent. Lots and lots and lots of other things that I could say, but I'll leave you guys with that. You know, as a church, my encouragement to you is to focus on Jesus' charge to us as his believers. His last moments on earth, God sent me into the world. I'm sending you into the world. What's he calling you to say yes to as you live sent in your life today? I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Uh, we're going to send, uh, sing that song, Build Your Kingdom, here, and I, I hope that song will be your prayer uh, as you go out into the world this week and each and every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for your love for us. Help us to fathom that more and more, the depth of your love. And as you say in 2 Corinthians, uh, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, may your love compel us uh, to go into the world as your ambassadors. You know, pleading with other people to be reconciled to you as you have reconciled us to yourself, Lord, through the blood of Jesus, giving us forgiveness, that new hope, that new life. We love you. We're grateful for your love for us. We pray uh, at our church and the churches around our nation that your spirit would just be poured out, that we would be shaken out of our comfort zone, that you would just compel us uh, to live sent and be on mission with you and join you on mission each and every day as we live in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.